I'm Jason Bailey-Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. Today's guest is Claire Riffle. Claire is an art historian, a curator, and a musician. I wanted to have Claire on so she could explain a little bit about what she just wrote her dissertation on for her PhD. Collage and narrative in the 1960s and 70s in Los Angeles. We have a wonderful conversation that bridges the art of the 1960s, but also how that narrative leads into today's work that's being produced in Los Angeles. Uh, we talk a little bit about Pacific Standard Time, the, the Getty exhibitions that went on in 2011-2012. We talk about how art history programs and curatorial programs are set up for graduate studies. And then we end with what is probably the favorite part of my show is I play a song by Claire later on in the interview. She is seriously an amazing talent as a, as a musician. The first time I heard her, it blew me away. She could do it professionally, and we talk about it, but just even the amount that she does it now, it's just, it's quite remarkable. I was intimidated to have her onto the show because I thought she was going to mop me up all over the floor with her broad knowledge of art history in Los Angeles and art history in general, and it was just a really amazing, wonderful talk. And for that sake, Claire is one of the great people here in LA. And this is one of the reasons I love Los Angeles is, but I met her a few years ago and she's nothing but nice. And every time I see her, we have a wonderful conversation and she's just a genuine pleasure to be around. It's a rarity, but that's who she is. So here's Claire. Claire. Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. It's great to be here. It's in your great studio. to have you. It's been a, I w- you were one of the first people I asked. Oh, I'm but very we, flattered. It took a while for us to get together. It's not that long. It's a couple months. Yeah. There's so many things to talk about. First, I, I think we should probably start with how the heck do you pronounce your last name? This is a common question, even yeah. for people like you who've known me a few years. I've known you and I know you well, <laughs> and I've never asked how to pronounce your last name. There's no, I mean, there's really no reason you need to know until things like this. Uh, but there is because I've been like, hey, I've been with Claire. <laughs> and then and then other people are like, oh yeah, I know, we, I know, I know what you're talking about. I know exactly who you mean. So it's Slovenian, which is ex-Yugoslavia, not Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, so Slovenia. Yeah. Riffle. Riffle. Yeah. That's easy. As I say, like wiffle ball with an R. And then the middle name is weird too. It's my m- mother's maiden name and that's pronounced Dito Bay. Oh, I never would have got that. No. Well, because it's, it's like a mispronunciation. Like, because and it's, it's spelled D-O-B-A-Y. It is. But then there's the D-E in front of it. Yeah. And that should, I guess. So it's a singular. It's not day do bay It's Dito Bay. I mean, that's how my mother pronounced it. That's so. totally fair. No, no. <laughs> that's it. This is, I like, never would have guessed that. I know because, it, yeah, it's kind of not logical, the, the middle part there. But but Riffle, okay, so the capital of Slovenia is Ljubljana. You can picture that. It's L-J-U-B-L-J-A-N-A. So that L-J is the same thing that's at the end of my name. It basically just softens uh, the L. So if I knew how to pronounce Slovenian, it'd be... It's kind of Slavic, so kind of like, ooh, or something like that. You know, I don't know. Riffle. I don't know. 
<laughs> I wish everybody could see the actual mannerisms that go with the the saying of the last name. <laughs> you have just written your dissertation for your PhD. I just finished that in December. An art yeah. history. Mm-hmm. Very, Straight up art history. Very specific though. Collage and narrative in LA in the 1960s and 70s. Yeah. Although I should basic, I should have named it the 1960s because that really was kind of more the focus. But yeah. Is this uh, going back and self-editing? Yeah, exactly. Which happens with every <laughs> every dissertation. <laughs> so it's always going to be a work in progress. But you have you've been all over LA for a long time. I have. Yeah, I moved to LA in 2005 to work at the Hammer. I'm trying to think of even where to start on a lot of this stuff. But I figure what I'll read is sort of your your quick CV here. Oh, okay. Because it lays out where it says you're a curator art historian currently working on your dissertation so it's a little bit old yeah this that was from an event in like march of 2015 her recent curatorial projects in los angeles include uh, subject matters 2013 graduate exhibition at the california institute of arts and coordinating the hammer venice beach biannual i met you right after that after vbb yeah in 2012 her writing has been published in LA Weekly for your art and area sneaks, and she has presented papers at Yale University, University of California, Los Angeles, and Harvard University. She's also worked in the curatorial departments at the Dallas Museum of Art, Museum of Modern Art, New York. She received her BA from Princeton, the MA in Art History from Williams College, and doctoral work is through the Institute of Fine Art at New York University. This is true. All yeah, true. well, I, was, I couldn't think of how to hit all of those things all at once without reading that, so I'm sorry to embarrass you if that does. <laughs> no, no problem. Also, now I've been writing in Carla. Something I think we'll get into later as well, you are a musician. I am indeed. A singer. I, I am a singer. Yeah, so let's talk about that in a little bit. Sure. I don't, I'm leading in so people can wait for it and... The payoff. So let's t- <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the dissertation and why you decided to write about collage and narrative. Yeah. In the sixties. In the sixties, right? Um, so I came at it first through collage. So that's kind of been a a long running thread that's connected a lot of the work that I've written about and been you just naturally in. pulled toward it, or what? I'm naturally pulled towards collage. Um, because, because, in, because of the manner in which it brings together so many disparate parts from different time periods, from different places in either an artist's life or someone else's life or the world or, or whatever, into this one place where they all have to kind of contend with each other. Um, and I, I think it just makes for a lot of productive thinking about art objects and how they move through the world and how they pick up these different connotations and kind of all boiled down into one object. You sent me uh, the intro for your dissertation. Sure. Which, by mm-hmm. the way, the intro is like 17 pages long. Yeah, but that's normal. It is normal, but <laughs> it's not when people hear intro. Yeah, no, it's not like, you know, the, it's not the close notes. No, but it was it was very, very good. And I, I've i written notes off of the yes, same. Yes, I'm, I'm very impressed. <laughs> studious, studious <laughs> podcast <laughs> maker. It seems to me that collage also offers an opportunity to show things in present time or yeah. present light, right? Yes. Sometimes it's more oblique. Mm-hmm. Is sure. that correct? Yeah. It's a good way to sort of think about how collage works. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's physically layers and then it's conceptually layers. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. and I like that, that duality. Okay. So you're, you focused on three artists for this. I did. So the I, artists I could are, have been, I mean, 
And then this, I always would have included them. There could have been more. Yeah. So this yeah. is a good question. Yeah. Why these three? And let's explain who the three are. Yeah. You want me to do that? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. It's your thing. So I um, wrote about Wallace Berman, um, who uh, Michael Cohn just did a really great exhibition three, four, or five months ago. It was basically like a retrospective, Wallace Berman retrospective. Is he still around? No. So he passed away uh, very young at 50. He was killed in a car crash oh, on wow. the eve of his 50th birthday. He actually portended it. He always told everyone that he would die on his 50th birthday. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's in the record. Like, you know, things get things get mythologized, obviously, over time. But that that's definitely... In, in, the, in the record of oral histories and everything. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you know, was he was he, this mystical Was he a wild man figure. or what was he? No, no, no. Well, you know, it was like bohemian life and everything, but actually comparatively to, to most people, no. Like he didn't do hard drugs. He was a father, a very devoted father. No, he was killed by a drunk driver. So it wasn't he was like, his fault. He didn't just go off the road. Walking. No, 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 no. He may have been walking actually. It was in Topanga. It was just like close to where he lives. Wow. But he may have been in a car, but it was a drunk driver and they caught him and whatever. But was anyway. he from Los Angeles? He was. He was, uh, he grew up in Boyle Heights. Uh, well, he was born in Staten Island, um, but pretty young. His family moved to, um, and he lived in Boyle Heights back when that was, it was a Jewish enclave. So we're talking like 30s, 40s. You know 40s. what I wanted to do here too, and I forgot about this, but I wanted to read the beginning of your dissertation because I think it leads us into sure. how we talk about all these people. Yeah, no problem. If you don't mind. The greater Los Angeles area, whose diverse neighborhoods have historically been segregated and self-contained, has often been characterized as a collage-like urban structure with no center, its miles-long boulevards and twisting freeways providing only tenuous sutures. In contrast to New York's Empire State Building, Paris's Tour Eiffel, and London's Big Ben, Los Angeles's historic towers, the Watts Towers, are the work of Simon Rodia, an aging Italian immigrant and they offer a far less imposing monument, a collage of broken plates, scavenged tiles, and glass bottles. Rodia embedded these materials into muscular steel and cement structures that rise above one of the city's more impoverished enclaves. This motley, pieced-together aspect of Los Angeles, particularly in its mid-century incarnation, provided a backdrop for what would become a penchant on the part of the city's post-war artists for using common materials to produce collages of various depths and scales. Furthermore, the narratives bound up with Los Angeles, the personal stories of its many transplanted citizens, the chronicling of its vast post-war growth, and the fantasies emanating from its high-profile entertainment industries made their way into many of these collages. That's a good way to explain the collages. So I, I meant to read that beforehand. So we were talking about Wallace Berman, the other two people. Edward Keenholtz. And Robert, and Robert Heineken, yeah. Heineken. So how do they fit into this? In this narrative. And one of the things that keeps coming up within the dissertation or the intro for the dissertation is this idea of narrative. I, mm -hmm. I saw it many, many times. Yeah, that's the, I mean, it's in the title of the dissertation. Well, too. <laughs> but it, it right. Yeah, it, no, it's a big, that's a big part of it. So what I was interested in is artists um, pulling these different objects together, objects and images, because I was using collage as a kind of broader term artworks made from found objects. So not necessarily flat 2D. You know, sometimes collage is distinguished from assemblage or assemblage, however you want to say it. You know, that assemblage is 3D and collage is 2D. But in any case, collage is a broader term of just found objects. Okay. So so these were, they're all dimensions of, in the works that I was talking, that I was writing about. And I was interested in artists not only taking objects to, let's say, make 
for, you know, formal groupings. Found objects or? Yeah, found objects to make sculptures or drawings or whatever you want to call them that have formal resonance, but that also are interested in the stories that each object kind of kicks up. So are you interested in the communities where the objects come from or more in the sense of the history of the objects and how that denotes specific living history for each individual aspect of that object? Yeah, um, really more how they in turn create a new narrative. Oh, so what happens afterwards? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and so they were using structures uh, somewhat related to film. I mean, they're starting to work in series. Wallace Berman is most known for his Verifax collages that are in these grids where each individual you know, selection that he made from usually magazines and photographs and pornography and a whole host of, of sources. They're in basically different cells and together they form patterns, formal patterns, but also intellectual ones. And so you have this sense of like time passing and, and, and stories developing over time, which is, you know, a narrative narrative uh, function. Which is also directly against what was sort of happening in that time period and where you had mentioned. In other places, for sure, yeah. Specifically New York. Yeah, exactly, yeah. One of those main reasons being Clement Greenberg Mm -hmm. and this fight against. uh, Yeah, very much against narrative. Very pure, pure form, pure media. So mixing media, very anti But one of the things I guess I never realized about Greenberg, Uh whenever we look at a history or... I guess this is history in general. We sort of canonize that history into it's very specific. The reasons for that happening being if it's political because of these, the war or these very political things that were happening at the time for our history. I've always, it's always looked for me to be in sort of a, an enclosed thing that I didn't really consider all of the outside influences that were going on. Uh And one of the reasons you point out in the dissertation that the reason that it's, Greenberg was was saying these things or the reason that it was sort of pointed out is because during the 50s we're dealing with communism nuclear war the containment of sexuality Mm -hmm. it was an opposition to these these things and trying to pull back and not have that narrative right yeah so I mean in in one case I mean you know I don't want to like simplify it too much but well because there's been a lot of like looking back at Greenberg these days you know he was kind of demonized for a long time and I don't like that's what I want to contribute to that but um because he was a very nuanced figure not that i'm saying you are i'm just saying that has happened sort of in the last you know like starting starting 20 30 years ago and i think recently he's starting to be looked at for the more more nuanced figure that he was however he had a very strong influence on the art being made at the time and what that influence was was pure abstraction and the flattening and I mean, color field painting, uh, you know, and second generation. Abstract I, I think we forget how influential yeah, exactly. critics were at that time period yes, as well, too. Very true. And I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I don't think that's necessarily the case these days anymore. I think it's influential to get a write up by a curator well, for a sure. specific show yes. because then it tends to push sales. Yeah. But in terms of one voice or even like four voices that are really almost dictating in a sense what what the art that gets made and the art that well, gets appreciated. What the artistic narrative is. Yeah, very true. Yes. Right. So word. as an artist going to grad school, Greenberg, this is what's really interesting to me. Clement Greenberg, it was always sort of a cursory figure. Yeah. You never really. Of the past. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody particularly said, go read Greenberg because you right. need to understand either what he's saying as a positive or what he's saying as 
in opposition to uh-huh. that. Kind of just like ignore him, basically. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, grad school is just sort of, it's funny like that, particularly now. I went to SVA where you weren't, you were told to read certain things, but it was always contemporary. Sure. I mean, it makes sense in, in a way. So you yeah. miss out on these conversations right. where there's relevance in what he's saying Definitely. and why he's saying it at the time. Right, yeah. And it's a reactionary measure in part, not yeah. completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two things that were happening at the time. And you see the same thing happening now. And it's hard to sort of differentiate because we're present yeah. in that time. That's true. Yeah, no, that, 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 uh, that narratives are being twisted left and right. That's for sure. One of my questions is because you're so deep into this and you're yeah. seeing that, do you, do you reflect on what's happening today and see those like history repeating or do you see right. how things are influenced by like what's happening now? Gosh, well, it was, I mean, it was so different. It was so much smaller, the art world. It was so much more right. contained Yeah, yeah. Um, that you could have like a grasp and you could at the time follow what was happening. Of course, today with, you know, everything is globalized. We can see what's happening, you know, at some small town in Australia. It's just, there's so much happening. There's no like one direction or even five directions, right? It's just all kind of happening at once. Or back then you could have these sort of strong voices because there was, I mean, arts, the sort of explosion of art schools hadn't happened yet. So there weren't, I mean, there were obviously a fair amount of artists, but nothing like today. When did the art school thing happen? When did that blow up? Probably at different times in different places. Do you think it was like 80s? At mid-century, after the war, that's the beginning. Because um, thanks in part to the GI Bill, that allowed a lot of people returning back into the school system after right. the war. Um, it, you know, I, I'm sure that there's people, I'm sure, who have written about this. Right, well, Howard right. Singerman is the sort of authority on the development of, of we art We could do a education. cursory overview. The return of all those folks and the sort of freedom to choose the field that you want. I mean, your your education is being paid for, so you can kind of do what you'd like. And I think it encouraged probably a fair amount of people to start studying art. The more that happened, I think the more institutions Just, right. shifted their selves to be like, okay, well, what will the, our pedagogical approach be now? You know, blah, blah, blah. But I think also, you know, the market has played a role in, in the explosion because there's, and that sort of exploded more in the 1990s, but there is money there. Do you know what I mean? Like right. back then you weren't necessarily thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to become a superstar. Well, you weren't thinking that at all. You weren't um, thinking that at all. And yeah. I think that happened after the 80s. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the but, 90s. Yeah, but then even more so, I think now is the real explosion has been, yeah, in this century. Well, you can still see. So do you think when you have these, and you're right, everything's sort of all over the place and many, many different things happening right. all at once. But you do see, for lack of a better word, a narrative running through some of these yeah, and Works certainly narrative is no longer a taboo thing to put into your work, so, like the opposite. So at this time, when all of this was happening, narrative was completely taboo. It, it was, I mean... Not completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah, were but doing it, it, but. Yeah, right, right. I mean, b- people like uh, Rauschenberg and Johns in New York were starting to disrupt that, you know, and very much going against Greenbergian ideals. Well, somebody else you mentioned in here, too, is Noah Purefoy. Yeah, Noah Purefoy, mm-hmm. Re- the show he just had at LACMA, and I didn't know his work before that. Yeah. So it's another one of those artists that if you, I think he's very LA centric though too. Very much so. And New York and LA don't share a lot of things when it comes to LA history. Right. So if you aren't present out here, you didn't go to school out here, it would be hard to sort of understand what his presence was. Or yeah. And even today, I think putting that 
Cho in place now repositions him as sort of more of an authority in that era than yeah. what people probably now today realize. Yeah, he had also pulled himself out of okay, so the physical he did. Los Angeles. Yeah, he moved out to Joshua Tree Well, that's in the where the desert and, and his studio is. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's one reason. But You talk about him in terms of collage as well, too, mm-hmm. and putting collage together and bringing in this uh, very present narrative at the time. Yeah. So is he working in much the same way as Wallace and Keenholz or Robert? Or what? He is, it, yes, in a related way. Um, because I was focusing on narrative as related to kind of filmic structures, this idea of series and sort of built in pulling from mass media a lot, actually, too. So that's why you picked these three. Yeah, that that was sort of the focus behind them. Because it so, related to Hollywood in a way or? Yeah, well, there's a there is a commentary on on Hollywood. Yes, definitely. In, in all the three of their work. But also because uh, the way the, the argument that I was making is that these artists were pulling from the narratives within culture, these sort of dominant narratives that were developing about, you know, the working man and the the place of women and what you should be doing with your life and, you know, American exceptionalism and all this kind of stuff. And using that very material coming from magazines and things that are espousing these narratives to rewrite them in a sense right? in, in their work and so, to, to toy with those. So somebody like Keenholz. Yeah. I look at, I don't think of Keenholz when I think of collage because I think of five car stud. Right. Well, because are you thinking of collage two-dimensionally? I am. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was really using the term really broadly. So why? And I guess, how does that... Because I don't see how do a dimensionality consider, to, to make that much of a difference. So explain this. How do you yeah. consider five-car-stead car collage? Well, because it's all these found objects. That's how I consider it. So it's the it's the idea of taking the found objects, putting them together into a, a singular yes, object. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about five cars. So, I mean, I think of your work as collage. Oh, you do? Yeah. I mean, not that I see it as flat. Not I a simplage? Well, sure. But I guess... It's I, the same damn thing. That's exactly. That's my point. <laughs> it's the same damn thing. Well, it, I... I mean, of course... I get lost in all these terms. Well, of course. Sure, but and and it's also because terms are what you ascribe to them, right? So right. everyone's going to have a slightly different understanding. But I'm not so interested in all of the dialogues that were going on about painting at the time. Why? I think because to me they seem more historical, more... Out of touch? Out of, yeah, of the time or something. Yeah. So I, I want to think about things that, that I do feel more connected in the present Well, I feel way. like what you're yeah. talking about in this, uh, in this idea of narrative and everything pertains to now more than just about anything else I've read is in a historical context to, Thank you. Yeah. it really relates. Mm-hmm. It makes, to be honest, it makes me want to read the whole thing. Ooh, that, that is a compliment for a yeah, dissertation. It, it was very, very interesting. And I, I have been thinking about its future life. You have. So yeah, oh, what, yeah. what do you do with something like that? Well, there are options. You can try and make it a book. Yeah. You know, some people take a strategy, which is to kind of try and write the book as you're writing the dissertation. Oh, which is which is smart, especially if you want to like go into teaching, if you know you want to do that, because then there's a real pressure to publish a book, you know, as soon as you can. Another. uh, So I didn't really do that. I kind of wrote to more for myself. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be trying the academic route. My mother was a professor and she loved it. And I I watched her love it. No, it's it's not. I want to work around objects more more immediately. Objects and artists. You want to be a participant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not that it's people no, in the university aren't you. participants because they very much are because a lot of times they're yeah. writing about art, about contemporary art. Well, and and they're working with artists in a different form. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But there's, but I, I've grown up 
or whatever, matured my career in, in museums. And that's just where I feel the most comfortable and the happiest. So yeah. But in any event, I could try and do articles out of the different chapters. One can do that. And then one can also change it significantly into and, a book. Into, and so if I were going to do the book route, that's probably what I would do. In what way? You'd I would add it? artists. You would. You'd I would make add a, some a broader. Mm-hmm. I would maybe make it 60s and 70s, like really. Really go into it. Have you yeah. thought about the other artists you might put in? Oh, yeah, for like, sure. Like who? But, uh, well, to make it really like a 1970s focus, I'll Betty Zarr. I don't know Betty Zarr. Betty Zarr. Oh, oh, you should. Okay, so yeah. talk to me. Um, so Betty Zarr, I don't know her birthday. I don't. <laughs> that's not important. <laughs> like I'm about to like try and give yeah, you. Yeah, I know you were going to give Wikipedia. me the whole thing. Yeah, no. Um, Betty Zarr is an African American artist who also is from Los Angeles. She went to UCLA. Is she still alive? Undergrad. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, she's in her 80s. She started as a printmaker. That's what she went to school for. And then gradually she, you can see it happen over time where at first her prints are like in these window frames and then with other objects. And then eventually it's like assemblage. Well, it's what we all do, right? As artists. Oh, is yeah. We you try to fit it into yeah. a box. <laughs> well, she it's literally totally, did that. You're right. I mean, she was very inspired by Cornell. She loved Cornell. So that was where the window frame came for her originally was, I mean, also because she probably found a window frame and it looked cool. <laughs> you know, I don't know how artists exactly come to what they do. We, <laughs> we, we think of it, I think, you know, honestly, like we frame paintings or we put things into a perspective of how we've always seen it. Yeah. So it's easy to sort of like contextualize some square box to fit the parameters of like what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard That's to break true. outside of that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also, yeah, it's sort of mentally a way to put it in one place well, and sort just of make these... things function together within this one Well, thing. and yeah. yeah, preconceived notions of what is acceptable and what is uh, sort of proprietary yeah. knowledge. But in any event, um, the reason that I would really want to include her, especially with the yes. 1970s, uh, in the 70s, um, her work becomes very political. It, it starts starting in the very late 60s, but then in the 70s. So her one of the more famous pieces of hers is a piece that focuses on the figure of Aunt Jemima. So it's all these different... When was this? 72. Wow. Yeah. And so there's one one image of her where she has like her fist up and a black power um, symbol. There's one where she's like sweeping and they're taken from, you know, popular culture. And then... But that's really early on to be calling out sort of those... Yeah, well, it's just, I mean, well, you know. Racial the, advertising and. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, 1960s is the. Right. So the, it's. The real strengthening of the, of the civil rights movement and the. Does she show, show somewhere today or not? Certainly. I mean, she, she's in, like, she was all over PST shows. The, right. But Pacific I mean, Standard Time. contemporary galleries, does she have representation in like a yes, contemporary gallery? She, I'm sure, I'm certain she does. I, I not remembering off the top of my I head. I, I'm always terrible at remembering who shows where. Well, it's just, it's <laughs> interesting to me to see who is polled and who is not polled or what their present I would say Betty Zarr is, is one of the most well-known contemporary artists. Out of Los Angeles. Yeah, for sure. I feel so out of the know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go to all the Pacific Standard Time shows like I did. That's true. <laughs> I made it a point to see almost all of them. I missed the ones in Palm Springs. I went to a lot. So Pacific Standard Time, this is really interesting. Pacific Standard Time was really interesting because it happened right when I moved to Los Angeles. And it was an incredible initiation or an introduction to what LA and the history of Los Angeles art was about. And anybody who doesn't know, PST, Pacific Standard Time, was put on by the Getty uh, when 2011, 2012? Yep, it opened in the fall of 2011. Okay, yeah. so, and it was spread across 
the whole of Los Angeles, Southern California, Southern California, mm-hmm. even outside of yeah. so uh, over San Diego, right? Yeah. San Diego. It was in Palm Springs. It was all over the Santa place. Santa Barbara, yeah, and yeah. then all sorts of smaller spaces. It's one galleries, not just museums. Exactly. Yeah, galleries were were invited to put together shows that were re- relevant to that subject matter, and, which was, yeah, L.A. 1945 to 1980 okay. was and, the time frame. And the Getty provided funding for all of these institutions to bring in the work. You they gave did, a proposal. the museums, yeah. mm-hmm. So the next PST is actually on... Uh, well, Latin. then there was one that focused on architecture. That was like oh, I didn't two years this. later. Yep. On specifically Los Angeles and Southern California? Yes. Mm-hmm. Really? It was, it was a smaller, it was smaller scale um, in terms of like how many exhibitions there were. It was like maybe... I'm not going to know exactly, but closer to a dozen than than six dozen. Right. So Mocha, of course, I'm going to blank on what everyone did. But yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah. So the current one that's coming up is on Latin America. Yeah. And that, again, is a big one. It's The huge. way the first one was a big one. Yeah. I've seen the list of some of the stuff that's coming in. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. From all over the... And really incredible work. Yeah. From- and museums really had a, lo- a lot of leeway in a sense because there was LALA, Los Angeles... Latin America. Oh, it's, yeah. So you the, could do a show just on Latin America if well, you wanted. A, a lot of the ones that I've seen in the list That's of the what object, they are. they're yeah. all Latin America. Yeah. They have or, zero to do with Los Angeles right. outside of, which I right. think is fantastic. Yeah, no. So it's it's not going to be as like um, all tied together the way the first PST was, but that's fine. By the way, I, I generally have an issue where you will see a lot of like Los Angeles, I, I believe this, I don't know if this is true. You will see Los Angeles shows that purport to be made in LA or something like right. that. And then they'll bring in artists from New York who right. had spent time in Los Angeles once upon a time. The mm-hmm. The idea of made in LA is very broadened. Right, yeah. So typically I have an issue with it probably because I'm present and those people are being selected over me and I'm right. really jealous. <laughs> You're not alone. I've heard this from several artists. Right. For the PST, <laughs> I have no issue with it at all. Yeah, I think yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, and then some some institutions are looking at some linkages. They are. Yeah. I, yeah. Again, I'm not going to be able to are remember what's where. Are you going to do, are you going to try to do all I was involved with the first PST, so that's why I really know about that one. What were you doing? I um, was part of a team that put together the website for the four Getty exhibitions. Okay. But what it really functions as is a, is a web archive of the time period. It still exists? It still exists. Yep. It's like blogs.getty.edu slash Pacific Standard Time, I think. Tons of ephemera videos with artists, um, maps that pinpoint where their studios were. Um, wow. Yeah, it's chock full of stuff. Artworks, obviously, the artworks that were in all the shows. Right, right. Um, and so we kind of mapped all these other elements around these each of the artworks. So stuff about the artists, stuff about, you know, where they were, who they were connected with, what galleries they showed with, blah, blah, blah. So that, that so I knew, I knew Pacific Standard Time, like the back of my hand. But, um, but I'm very excited to see the shows. And yeah, I will try and see them all again. Because one thing that I loved about the experience of doing that, and it took a lot of planning, um, because not all the shows are up at all the same time. So, but there were weekends where I'd like drive out to Pomona and see like five shows in like at Scripps at Pomona <laughs> at the Los Angeles or the, sorry, uh, Museum of Ceramic Art. I'm saying that wrong, but that does right. exist. Yeah. And and I hadn't known all of these spaces, or even if I'd heard of them, I had never been to them. Well, essentially, if you had a good proposal for a show, the Getty would help you produce the show. Yeah, and some of them did it without funding. Did they? Oh, yeah. Like the first batch was, I think, originally significantly smaller. And then a lot of institutions, because what you even if you didn't get the money to do the show, you had all this free 
publicity. publicity. It was, you know, built in, which is so fantastic. Exactly. And, uh, and all it did was make it a fuller story. So, you know, the Getty was perfectly happy to bring in whoever, whoever wanted whoever to Whoever wants to go along yeah. for the ride. Yeah. Obviously there's some, I'm sure there was some process of looking at what. Vetting? The, yeah. Not, yeah. Not sorry, <laughs> vetting, but like just, you know, so what is a show going to be? But, um, but yeah, I will try to do that because there are spaces that I haven't been now in six years. Like, well, and, it's, and then it makes LA it easier though, to right? go in the future. Well, you say this in the beginning of your your intro for the... Yeah, it's very spread out. Well, it's not just yeah. spread out. We're isolated. Each community is yes. sort of isolated in yeah. its own... Yeah, you fall into your patterns. LA of the is places really you go and the places you know. That. Yeah, it is, yeah. Even Santa Monica to Well, Echo because Park. then each little enclave is very rich, so there's a lot of why, stuff why to do it? within it. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you want to live a life. <laughs> right? <laughs> you mean not being on the highway 24-7? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Where do you go from here? Where do I go from here? Yeah, we, so because I'm done now. Yeah. We've talked about this outside of the radio. Yeah. So now I'm doing a lot of freelance work. You um, are. I am. Yeah. A lot of editing, writing, research. Are you looking for work? Do you want to go back into an institution? I would like a full-time job where it's where I'm doing one thing. Working on many projects, but for in one place. Do you worry <laughs> that... Are you worried, though, that if you go into an institution, you could be pigeonholed into an area that you don't necessarily want to work in? Not necessarily. I feel like things have become pretty fluid. I mean, there yeah. there was a time, I'm sure, where it was like, you know, there's a step, and then there's the next step, and there's the next step. I feel like people are coming at... You mean moving through an institution? Yeah, or, or what have you, exactly, yeah. But I feel like people are coming into positions from all different, all different sides. So you're writing for Carla... I'm writing for Carla, Contemporary Art Review Los Angeles. What other things are you doing? I am uh, doing some things like writing press releases for galleries. Oh, you are? I am. I ghost wrote something recently. Did you really? I did. How yeah, did it you, was the first time I did that. Did you like it? I did. I did like it, actually. I, bet I mean, in a way, it's easier, right? Because I'm you're sort of who, writing I'm, someone else's words in a way. I'm betting whoever that person was really liked what they got back. <laughs> You're like, wow, this sounds really smart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I haven't heard the final verdict, but the the other people around the person liked it. So, yes. That's fantastic. Well, (laughs) artists generally won't say anything right away to begin with. Well, that depends. I would immediately. But um, uh, I've been editing for different institutions for the California African American Museum. And recently. Where is that? That is an exposition park. You should definitely I take a trip. Know take that your was kids. Even there. It's free. Don't miss it. It's How right by the it? Science Center, right next door. Really? How big? Yeah. Or is that what it's called? California Science Center. Yeah. I think yeah, that's yeah. the official name. How big? Do you mean like square footage? Well, is it a big museum or a little museum? I, it's big. It's large. Yeah. 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 I, I would say it has, I would say it's similar exhibition space than the Hammer. Wow. I, I'm kind of bad at measuring space no, like that's that. Totally but fine. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they usually have about three shows or more up at once. Okay, so I want to go into your personal life. Okay, oh, yes. If you don't mind. I don't. Okay, so where are you originally from? I'm from Middlebury, Vermont. You're from the East Coast, I knew that. Okay, yeah. so tell me, how did you end up getting out of Middlebury? Getting out of Middlebury, yeah. <laughs> right? Basically, everyone gets out of it. How I'm big is kidding. it? I'm just kidding. 6,000? It's like my hometown. My hometown okay. was like 7,000. Okay, yeah. What was the next closest town? Do you mean... City. city that you've heard of? City, well, city okay. that, okay, so Burlington, like I had, Vermont. I had Omaha. Okay. We drove an hour and a half Which to get to like Omaha. Which is like at least 100,000 people, right? Yeah, what's Burlington? Just Burlington is like, uh, I'm not really going to know, but I think it's like 50. Okay, so it's yeah. not giant. That might be the 
extra areas around it. How too. far away was it? 45 minute drive. Okay. So about reasonably about the same yeah. thing that I had to do. Yeah. The closest big cities, Boston is four hours. It's a ways away, right? Yeah. New the, York is six. Minneapolis was six for me. Okay. The closest, and I would go often, is Montreal. I'm going to Montreal this month. Oh, cool. For the first time. For the first time. It's a beautiful, wonderful city. Did, so I went at least once a year how, growing up. How close? Two and a half hours. A little oh, less. that's really close. Really close. Yeah. And back then, crossing the border was really easy. Now, it, it's still easy there because everyone's so homogenous, so they don't care. It can take a while to get back in the and in, back into the state. You the can, listeners are not going to care about this at all. But yeah. the way to do that and the way that everybody should do this is oh. it's called global entry. Have you uh, ever heard of this? Oh, you can like apply for this. You apply. Thing? You go do an interview at the airport. I have a global entry card. Oh, because it, okay, it's good for five years. You, you pay fly. Like, you fly a lot. I fly a lot, yeah. but you pay like a hundred bucks. And Wait, then, but is this for flying? It's for both. So you huh. get a card, and I have a card in my wallet right. with my ID mm-hmm. for the borders, Canada and Mexico, where you can express entry and hmm. exit. Interesting. With the card through the 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 connecting borders, uh-huh. and then when you're flying, you skip all of the passport lines, and you go straight to a computer, scan it, and you walk oh right out. Oh my gosh! Wow. It takes all of five minutes. Huh? Oh, well, we always. My parents would always joke. And it, this was true. When you're going into Canada, so you're leaving the U.S., going into Canada, which are Canadian officials, right? Because they're screening who's oh, coming yes, into coming their country. In. Super friendly, really nice, <laughs> fast process. Going back in, gruff. And you're an Why? American. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean. Okay. So you're in <laughs> Vermont. I, was in, I grew up in Vermont. I was there till college. Um, I still go back. I'm going back in two weeks. For My dad's there. Your dad's still there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, went away to college and then, you know, and never lived there again, but, um, uh, went back all the time. And, uh, and then when I was in getting my master's at Williams college, that's only two hours away. So then I was home all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or every now and, you know, why did you pick Williams? I picked Williams because it was a terminal master's program. What is that? Meaning, um, it's like, there is no PhD. It's so just it ends master's. at it just, the masters. It ends at the masters. No one else is getting a PhD, which means you're getting like all the Soul attention. Focus. Yeah, it's built to be a master's program, and it just—I mean—it has a very good reputation for be, art history. Be, yeah, for art history, it's does it have turned a, a lot of amazing people out of there. Does it have a focus like yearly, or does it? Can you be contemporary, no. or can you? Oh be, yeah, no. There's no. Uh, there's no focus. It's just across art history. I guess it's a good question. Maybe it's not. It's a question I want to know though. Yeah. When you're thinking of being an art historian or you're thinking about working in an institution and you decide what your focus is going to be, mm-hmm. do you have to decide a focus? Like yeah. you've picked uh, yeah, you this do. for your yeah. dissertation. I mean, you have, in a master's program, you have to decide a focus and that you have to write a thesis. So ergo, that becomes your focus. Do you but know what I mean? Are it doesn't you mean... pigeonholed to that then after you get out? I mean, in a sense. So like you're looking yeah, for work you now. If you're yeah, I mean, if you job. had written about you know, 17th century prints. Well, you're not going to go um, into You're not going to get a job at, you know, the ham. Well, no, that's a bad example because there is, there are 17th century prints in the collection, but um, <laughs> at MoMA, at MoMA. Yeah. Like right. Said. So yes, it does. It does define. You really need it. So how do you decide what But it doesn't define, like if you did a thing on 17th century prints, you could then do something on 19th. You know what I'm saying? Well, I guess as long the, as it's not. the crux of this question is, okay. 
how would you decide what the heck that is with it being such a broad... How do you decide broad... on a major? Well, I mean, it's yeah, the same thing. but you just decide you find something that you're attached to or that you find well, interesting? Well, the way it happens in Williams' program, and I'm sure this is probably similar in others, and we're not talking about a curatorial master's because that's a whole different right. program. Yours is art history. Yeah, this is straight up art history. So we they... focus more on like writing essays, preparing talks. So how do the um, programs differ for a curatorial? Curatorial is more like practice. Oh, okay. For exhibition making. So it would be like the Bard program. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Bard, CCA in San Francisco. Right. Yeah. So is it the people who come out of those programs with the curatorial versus in art history? I mean, obviously you want to curate, you do curate. How does it differ when institutions are, or places hire? Does it matter? It doesn't necessarily matter. I wouldn't think so. One thing that can help, I guess, with the, the networking aspect. Right. Um, and also, and also, um, it's going to skew more contemporary in those programs. If they're not all contemporary, the students that come out of there, the vast majority are going, are going to, to be. be contemporary. Yeah, because it's focused on more on like a contemporary kind of exhibition making. Yeah. Whereas so, something like Williams's program, there'll be some people who are focused on like ancient Greece. You know what I mean? Is it important for you to have a PhD to get a job? Not necessarily. No. I, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't, my decision to go do that wasn't a professional one necessarily, um, but it can help. So it can't hurt, but it can help. Can it help in certain, like certain places? Yeah. Or? So for example, like the Met would want you to have a PhD. A couple of years ago started beefing up its contemporary, like after Sheena Wagstaff came, they started hiring a lot of contemporary curators, assistant curators, and they said they wanted PhDs. Makes sense. Yeah. So those bigger, more academic institutions or LACMA, for example, they hired an assistant curator and they want, it was, it didn't say required, but it said preferred. This may be completely boring to everybody listening, but I, I find it, Sorry. no, I find it really fascinating. This yeah. is why I'm asking. Yeah. It's just, it's something I don't yeah. know. Right. Yeah. No, but, and then of course, and there's people who come at it totally different, you know, artists who then become curators. Of course that exists. Well, of course it exists. Or there's artists who think they're curators. <laughs> well, I very much appreciate artists who curate. I hey, I've done it. Yeah, it's it's a different often. It's not always a different perspective, but it often is. Well, I think the perspective is generally how your work fits into a spectrum of what you're actually curating, hmm. because the language that you're speaking is the language that you're you're trying to sort of put out there. Yeah, and you're trying to. I think it's. I think for the most part, and for my well, at least for me, I will speak for myself. Curating was a way to understand why I was making the work I was making in my own studio. Hmm, interesting, yeah. So when I put on that show at a Knotts, the Duck Rabbit show, it was a chance. I curated myself on the show. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself. Which can be, which can be, yeah. Yeah, I was, I, you know what? I considered not doing it up until like the last minute. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know what? I'm curating this show because I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing with my own work. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. why not put my own work in it? It's right. just, it's a conversation about me. Right. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. Also, you're not trying to be a curator. No, exactly. In the future. Right. And that, that would make a difference. It like would if make you a wanted this to be part of your practice regularly, I, I would do say do not put your work in. I but would say that would thought, probably be a good call. Yeah. But since that's not, you just had this opportunity and you took it and it was great because it was a nice show. Um, but yeah, if, since you're not wanting to do that regularly. So when you fine. went to, um, I think when we met, okay, so we met at a party at Chris Wiley's house. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. In, in like Mount 2011. Washington. Yeah. Like yeah. a long, long time ago. Does he still keep that room? 
he still keeps okay. a room up there at that house. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to let go of LA. Yeah. Who, uh, his roommate, Katow, uh-huh. who was the director of the Eric Andre show, was actually on the podcast as oh, well, Oh, cool. Too. Oh, oh, neat. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. I recognize it's a the small name. World. Now I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason I bring that up is because I think, had you started your dissertation or your even your, oh, yeah. your PhD? How long have you been doing that? How long did I do it? What's the separation of time between your master's and your PhD? Oh, long, because I worked in the middle. You were at the Hammer and you were at other... Yeah, and then I did a lot of side projects. So Venice Beach Biennial. That was all before? CalArts show. I was, I took kind of, I took a break from the dissertation to to work on those because those were like full-time. And did you know that you were going to go and do the PhD in the dissertation? Yeah, I mean, so I was already working on, so, okay, well, I mean, Talk about time. I mean, I got my master's a long time ago, 2004. That was right after college. I went straight. I went straight. My uh, senior year was uh, 9-11. And uh, a lot of of jobs sort of dried up. And it just seemed like a very insecure kind of landscape out there. And so... Going back directly back into school was... Yeah, it just felt... It made the most sense. Um, And I got into my top program, so... Fantastic. I was like, let's do it. Um, so I went straight <laughs> into that. And then I did a year um, after that, I did a year in Dallas at the Dallas Museum of Art, which was a wonderful first job. What were you doing? Curatorial was, assistant? Or? Yeah. And in, in the uh, contemporary, modern contemporary department. Um, actually not curatorial assistant. It was like an, an internship, graduate internship gotcha. or whatever. So that's why it was just one year. Yeah. Um, I was just hanging out with um, one of the curators that I worked for. We went to galleries yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that's nice. Um, and... Uh, and then I went to the Hammer. And you were at the Hammer for how long? For three years. And that while. was when I was the curatorial assistant. So I worked on all the contemporary shows. That was my my zone, my area. So all the Hammer projects, any show that was like, you know, modern contemporary. Okay. So in this whole mix, and this is, uh, I took the long way around it. <laughs> we're kind of tangents. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Uh, I wanted to get into, when, when did you start singing? Oh, sure. See, I'm taking the really oh. long way around because well, I'm trying to figure the, out like through your transition. history, I'm trying to think about your history and when oh, okay, were you yeah. always doing music? I have been singing since I was really young. I've been in, I was in choirs, um, but like kind of classical choirs that are singing like real music. Like show choir? No, not like show <laughs> choir. <laughs> Meaning like, like Bizet, like Carmen. Wow. Yeah. So things like that. And and I had that uh, those opportunities or or like, you know, madrigals or like, I don't know, how, like where, classical how, music. How does that happen in a town of 6,000? Because it was Middlebury's summer program. So Middlebury has summer schools. And because my mother was a French professor, we were always hanging out. You never said this before. Your mother was a French professor. She was, yeah. So yeah. do you speak French? I do. Because of your mom or did you take classes too? Well, because of my mother's career. So every few years we lived in Paris. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, you didn't know. That. I, mean, I didn't why know. You no, know that? I but, didn't know this at all. Um, yeah. So when for I was how long? Three for a year each time. So I was three. I was nine. I was thirteen, and then my junior year in college. This is incredibly influential on. Oh my god! Everything. Yeah, I mean that's how I got to know art. You know, I mean Middlebury has an art museum, um, and it's actually, especially now, it's like it's you know they do really interesting shows, but it's hard to like Burlington. There are some spaces to see art, but like, you know, like a, a center, like so was your Paris, mom, there's just nothing was like Was your mom it. teaching while she was there? Or what she was? She was d- um, heading up the abroad program. That's incredible. Yeah. So, and so they have an apartment, like the college has an apartment. So we'd always live in the same place. And, and were you going to school there then? In French schools. 
which was not easy. My mother had to fight to get me into them because even though it's public school, they did not want some random American girl. So is your French, was your French? So the first time I was in kindergarten, so they didn't care. And I didn't know any French, but I learned it probably in like two months because that's what three-year-olds do or four-year-olds. And then I was not allowed to speak English with my mother when we were back in the States. For how long? Well, four years. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it's the late, it, you know. It makes sense. It doesn't make a difference what language you're speaking. Yeah. yeah. When you're fluent, it, it's kind of the same. And, and not only that, she made me do correspondence courses. Because not only was it important to keep the language, but it was important to keep up with grammar. Because that's such a huge part of the French educational system. Right. Um, and so if that were to slip, then they would not have let me in. So each time I came back, so when I was nine and when I was 13, I had to take exams, like entrance exams to get into public school. <laughs> Holy moly. And a, lo- a lot of people had to do this because, you know, French is very, it, Paris is very multicultural. So there's people coming from all different countries, from, from North Africa, right. from Israel, from wherever. And so I was there with a ton of, you know, international kids, basically. When was the last time you were back? Uh, oh, God. So long. 2007. Oh, long time ago. Yeah. Why has it been so long? A uh, lot of reasons. <laughs> but um, one reason is my mother died in 2010. And so all of the trips that I've done ever since, except for we recently finally went to a real vacation. But most of the trips are to like see family and, right. and things like that. We, we're jumping. We're really jumping. But, but long back- story short, the summer schools at Middlebury are world renowned as language schools. So they have like, well, they're always adding languages, but French was a major one. And um, so basically students come, it's all ages. Some people are getting their masters. Some people are just undergrads who want to like catch up, you know, or whatever. Or a lot of times it's undergrads going abroad that next year. So they want to like beef up the language before they do that. And so I, as a kid, I would just go hang out because all these faculty would come from France and some of them had kids and they'd come every year or they'd come every other year or something like that. So I had friends there. And your, your very small town sounds incredibly different than my very small town. It is incredibly different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You especially if you're connected to the college. Especially yeah, if you're like yeah, connected yeah. to the college. It's a very so, different. It's town and gown, quite separate, actually. And so, not in a nice way, always. Okay. Music. Sometimes it is. But. Music. You were doing so, these things young. So there was a, like a real choir director who would come every summer to, do, to have the French school choir. And so I would sing with that, beginning like around age 9, 10. You know, and then it wasn't until, and I'm sure I was in like choir and like, you know, like every kid is like, you know, in junior high or or high school, you have the option to be in choir a lot of time. Right. And I did do that. But then I, actually, I don't really remember how or when this happened, but my uh, musical upbringing or meaning like what I listened to, it wasn't until like the 90s that I actually like caught up on like pop cultural music. Really? Before that, I was listening to either the Beatles or Irving Berlin and Cole Porter and Gershwin. Oh so I've grown up with standards just because that's what I gravitated towards. And so then in high school, I had two friends who were um, brothers and amazing jazz musicians. They ended up going to school for that. One a drummer and one a guitarist. And so they were friends and I did some combo work in you high school. You started singing with them. As a soloist, yeah. Yeah. And that is what you do today. And that's what I do today. Yeah. And then in college, I was in acapella group, in an acapella group, but not like a sort of top 40 style where you like dance, not like a pitch perfect, right? Not a dorky one. <laughs> well, no, they're all dorky. Trust me. <laughs> acapella is by nature dorky. But um, but no, dorky in the sense like, like 
really into the, about the music and about right. really making quality music. And there were people in in the group with me that had like really been in like real choirs, like semi-professional children's choirs. Like, so they really knew what they were doing. So I've actually never really taken a, a voice lesson. You haven't? I haven't, but I learned a lot from them and from that experience of trying to create this sort of blended okay. you know, sound. And that music was jazz and classical. So again, the jazz sort of I think this there. is a... This is a good time. You forward me a couple of your tracks. I'd like okay. to play one. Okay, sure. So people Which can... one are you going to play? Uh, My Romance? I the one so. that, that <laughs> I don't record very often or ever. So there's very little recordings I have that are that sound professional, and this is like the one. <laughs> I could tell that it was recorded professionally, but the other one sounded amazing. I'm picking this one because you, you can hear the clarity of your voice yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. I'll play this, and then we can talk after. That's awesome. Thank you. That is so good. So that's me and Todd Richmond on bass. And Todd is uh, probably the person I played with the most in LA. How did you meet him? Through other musicians originally. That's sort of how it happens, right? Yeah. I mean, the way, so I wasn't singing like alone as a soloist since like high school. Oh, you weren't? And then when I moved to LA in 2005, I started thinking, oh, you know, I want to get back to I don't into have that. enough to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and then it was through Craigslist. You know, I think that's a lot of times how musicians hook up. Yeah. Um, and I just found a group 
a guy actually it was there was a guy who was like organizing uh, jams and it's like oh i have this studio you can sign up like sundays from three to six and you know mondays from blah 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 and i met the group of people who randomly were available you know sundays three to six and then so that's how i started to meet musicians and then just yeah and then they bring in other people or you, you well, know, the way someone else and, and and so i met todd through someone the way so. you advertise this or you like show the only reason i knew about it you send out i'm like hey put me you're like oh yeah i sing sometimes i have an informal email list. you, you yeah. do but you're like ah, i sing sometimes yeah and i was like okay put me on the list and right. i'm like ah, i just showed up to like listen i was like holy shit <laughs> you're really good like this could be a career i see that and have, have uh, you thought but about it i have thought about it but the thing is I, I would have to really make it the hundred percent right. full time. Well, that's all thing. That's that's how it always works, right? That's how it always works. Yeah, I mean, there are some things that you can maybe do to it once, but you know, like to really do it for real, you know, it would take starting a market, starting to really finding a core group of musicians that I only play with well, and that we get together. Practicing and we, all, yeah, the time. exactly. Rehearsing, we, yeah. We were talking about this a little bit, yeah. And I used to, I used to run sound at a bar. And Which I, I didn't with, know. I worked with a lot of musicians. I worked with, um, I've said this before, but I worked with uh, Taj Mahal, mm. Sun Seals, oh. Link Ray, uh-huh. like old school, yeah. really good, really the fundamental core of like what some of these, these, uh, this music is. And I can hear it when, when I'm listening to some of these things, but we talked about this. If you're doing this, you have to practice like nonstop. Oh yeah. Yeah. And also promote yourself. And promote yourself. Yeah. And build an audience. I mean, right. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to email the people I know, but I don't just don't have the motivation to try and get people to my gigs that don't know me. And Do you know what I mean? Well, it's stressful. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you, you got to want it and yeah. We were talking a little bit while this was playing about you always wanting to, it's hard for you to understand that that's your voice sometimes because you always want to speed up. Oh, right. Well, what, I, yeah, what I was saying is that when we did that one recording that, that you just played, that's just me and Todd and we were just together single know, single take one, yeah one take and when he sent it to me because we'd done we would you know maybe we did it, we went through probably like two or three times or something like that you know we recorded right. it a few weeks later a couple weeks later like he sent me that track and i didn't really believe that it was one take i was like oh did i can't remember what how I did said you piece to him, it together but, yeah or yeah or i was like oh did oh no actually i said oh you sl- you slowed it down that's what oh. i said I like, and he was like <laughs> no i didn't touch anything and, and, and I didn't recognize myself almost because I do sometimes have a, have a desire to like get to the next note or move onward. It's hard for me sometimes to like sit back, sit is it in the pocket. Is it important for you to have that, that band behind you then when you're singing um, to keep you in time? Yeah. It's not, not so much a sense to keep me in time. It's not like I'm rushing time. It's that, you know, you can sort of have a note hit before or after the beat. Yeah. And I, I tend to go before. Or after, whatever it is. Before, because you're trying to hurry it. Yeah, yeah. And just like, ooh, you know, make it a phrase, get to that next phrase, rather than sort of like sitting back. Have you noticed that yourself or have you had people tell you that? No, it's something more that I notice myself. Or like in instances like this where I hear it played back and like, I don't believe that I did it that way because I'm like, oh, well, I, that's not how I say Would that be something? So if you were to do this professionally, would that be something you'd focus on? Oh, yeah. Like oh, for with? sure. And to play around with that. Yeah. To figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. Not just deal with it, but like play around with it, do it sometimes, not others, but in a deliberate way. Would you choose to do the the jazz standards or what do you? Yeah. So what I do, I mean, I, I sent you something of a mix, but mostly jazz stuff. Yeah. Do you do blues or not? A little bit. A little bit. So 
all blues. That's one that's sort of a standard that is a blues, right. but not like in a concentrated way. Um, that is something I'd like to play around with more. I love Because it's its own style, very much its own style. I was also a DJ at a radio station in college for a jazz station. Another thing I didn't know. I'm drawn more to blues than I am to jazz. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I don't know what that is necessarily, the pull toward it. I think it's more of, I think it's just a style. Yeah. And also, I mean, this doesn't go for all jazz, but I, at least let's say vo- talking about vocals. Yeah. Uh, you know, standards and vocals, most of the time, the way they're done is a bit more standard. <laughs> <laughs> there's Meaning, a format yeah yeah it's a bit not sing-songy but you know a lot of them were written for musicals that's where they came from a lot of them like Cole Porter and Grishwin I don't think I knew that yeah so they have that kind of aspect to them at least you know the ones from that area the vocal yeah there's vocal later standards, standards yeah. too but with blues it's a much more open I mean the point of blues is that it's a little it's more just raw. a yeah, yeah it's really just a chord progression right. I mean there are melodies but it's really just a blueprint even more than than other jazz. So you're standards. free to sort of play with. A little yeah, bit more. exactly. And and people do that. And I think that's one reason why you're probably more drawn to it. Do you think then that if you were to if you were probably do this professionally, you might be pulled more towards blues a little bit. Yeah, and also uh, what I do do a lot of is is more funk too. Yes, like I've more heard that. 60s, 70s, yes. like Roberta Flack, Bill Withers. Is that funkier? Is that your soul. choice or is it the band or what do you? Uh, I think probably funk? originally it was Todd. Yeah. Because he loves that. And, uh, I mean, I've always loved Bill Withers, you know, that was you know one thing on rotation. Your funk is good too. Thank you. That's helped also by the band just because if you have a good beat, like right. it makes it, you know, quote unquote easy to, to then just meld into that. But so it'd be that as well. So it's not, I don't do like straight up jazz standards in, in, in gigs unless like it's a gig where that's what they want. It's always going to be some kind of blend or, you know, or we'll do, we do like a kind of funky you know, blue skies. Yeah. Mix or, it up. Yeah, exactly. And Todd, Todd's great at that. And I've learned a lot from him about that. How often are you doing it um, today? Like nowadays? It's about once a month. Yeah. And so that's a, so we, we don't ever rehearse. I mean, that's another thing that would change very much if I decide to do this as a career. Yeah. And I would want to, You'd I'd want love to. to rehearse. The only thing is like, you know, it's time, it's people's time. And if you don't have like a band where it's, you're all together and you're all, you're this all is on your the same page, goal. Right? Yeah. You'd have to you'd like pay, you'd have to pay musicians to goal? rehearse and right. you know, that gets expensive. And so it, what it is, is I just have these gigs at, you know, at bars where it's kind of low stakes so we can do whatever we want and we do it as a concert. Like we do it. Oh, it sounds fantastic. Exactly. So it's, there's no half. Someone ass. walking in wouldn't realize that we hadn't maybe rehearsed this to get you, it this way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't realize it. At yeah. All. But but I would like to, to Everybody's a very good bring musician. A place. That, that's the thing. That's I have I've been everybody, blessed with meeting wonderful Well, including musicians. you though too. Yeah. Like everybody can riff on everybody. Yes. Else. Yeah. No, we're all responsive and we listen to what the other is doing. Yeah. You uh Paramount Ranch, you did a piece for somebody. Yeah. Right? Did you hear it? I didn't. I ran into you afterward and you're like, oh, I was just over there in the corner singing. And yeah. then I went to this other corner and started singing. I was like, What are you doing? I took off my glasses, so there's probably a lot of people who didn't recognize me. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I do remember the first time I saw you without glasses and I didn't recognize you right away. Hell, that happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, it probably happens for a lot do of Do you wear people. contacts? I do own them, but I don't often wear them. So, so like right are now, you just blind? No, I just have a low, <laughs> whatever it's called, low uh, prescription. Yeah. It's just negative one or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not, like right now you're very clear and I don't have my glasses on, but like I wouldn't want to drive. I could drive, but it's just easier when you can see anybody perfectly. listening stay out of the way from her <laughs> she's driving with <laughs> I, well that's the thing i never do i never do because it would feel uncomfortable but in any case i did so i was approached by it was through uh liz craft 
Oh, it um, was. I was wondering who the artist was. Well, it wasn't Liz Craft, but it's through Liz because she is on. The, she gets the emails, um, oh. and so uh, someone, you know, Liz was doing Paramount Ranch with Penty and and the the Friedman Fitzpatrick folks. Uh, one of the artists that was participating came to Liz and was like, "Oh, I need a singer. I have this idea. You're I like, need I a singer." And Liz was like, "I know someone." So she she emailed me, and at first I was like, "Because mm, I don't mix the art and the music worlds. I mean, I invite the art people, right? But I would like never. You don't want to cross pollinate. I would never like perform." At an opening, or I mean, not so that what, that even happens, but like well, I wouldn't want to do but that. So, what what changed your mind on this? Um, that's a good question. Uh, peer pressure <laughs> from Liz <laughs> and the artist, which I'm very happy for because it was fun. It was like taking me out of my box. Yeah, no, what it was is I sang. She wanted a country song, and oh. or actually no, she said do whatever you want, and so I gave her like a list of and you did a, a couple things, and and at one of them I and I proposed three songs and two of them were country songs. I made that selection because it was Paramount Ranch and you're in the w- old West, Yeah, you know, old West. Set. So you sang, what'd you sing? So I sang uh, Patsy Cline's If You've Got Leaving On Your Mind and she wanted it in like different locations. Um, around around Paramount, Paramount Ranch. Ranch. Yeah. So we kind of started in the barn. For those not in the know oh, on yeah. Paramount Ranch, Paramount Ranch was a three-year project put on. Uh, an art fair. An, an art fair essentially, but it was at, Paramount Studios Ranch, where like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman was filmed. Yeah, in uh, up in Malibu, yeah. in the hills. And they'd uh, have the uh, in the facades, basically, in the facades of what were meant to be these little, this little uh, country town. Yeah. They'd have it was like art a jail shows. and a bank. Yeah, it was like a, a, a groovy little thing going on. It was anyway. wonderful. And they stopped it. And that's sad, but they, they, they did the right thing. Yeah, you know, it's totally quit on a high Everything note. needs to stop at a yeah. certain time. Yeah, end you, on a high note. You sang in three spots there. Or five. Oh, a lot. Yeah. How did yeah. I miss this? I must have got there right after. Well, it, it, it wasn't like over a course of six it hours. It was like day. just, yeah. And the song, I just did like one you know, time uh, through uh, it. So it was fast. Was everybody weirded out? Some, some girl singing in the... I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, no one really like... I mean, there were some people there that I knew that I had like gone with and knew I was going to do it. So they were there and they heard it. But Did crowds gather? Um, A little bit. Yeah. But also there were crowds. <laughs> so <laughs> do you know what I mean? There already were crowds. Gathering. Like one of, the, one of the places I did it from was like right at the entrance. Like oh. not the very first entrance, but like, yeah, look where the burritos are sold, you know, yeah, yeah. that stand, the food stand there. Very, like right very, there. very old town, by the way, burritos and yeah, right. <laughs> at the yeah. ranch. Right, right. Exactly. But no, I mean, most people just went about their <laughs> their business. And then there were some people that sort of looked at me and then looked away. And that's oh. when, that's when I was thinking maybe I they don't recognize shit. me. Oh, because I didn't you know the people. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Oh. People that I knew, like, and they sort of like glance, and then they, and I didn't see like a moment of recognition. So that's why maybe there are people the that didn't, had never heard you sing as well. Also, there's that, and then also just like it's incongruous. Like you don't I, expect like someone like me to be doing that. I don't, and this is what I think we'll end on this. Yeah. So I think when I came and saw you sing for the first time, I came by myself. I like sat in the back and like listened to you. And oh, I thought the first time you came to a farmer's market. I saw you at the farmer's market. Uh-huh. That was the second time. I oh, think. okay. Yeah. Because I have sung at the Santa Monica farmer's market. Right. But and I, I have seen people like uh, artists there. I, that was the second time I saw you. So the first time I came to the bar in Santa Monica mm-hmm. and I sat in the back and I was so blown away by the level of, uh, well, skill, but just to have, I think the thing that sort of struck me looking at 
your CV and your history and listening to the music is you're so well-rounded and you have so many different things that you're doing all at once and you're good at all of them. <laughs> the writing, the the history, the curating, the curating stuff, the stuff I've seen that you've curated too is really very, very good. Thank you. It's something that I, I'm trying to dig back in because it's been like three years because I took a big break to write the dissertation. Right. And, and I am so eager to get back into that. I'm very thankful that you came on and it's been a real pleasure. So thank you for taking the time and for sharing everything as well too. You've been very open and allowing me to share the music and yeah, no, it's so much time to bring it together. (laughs) Actually, I've been uh, invited to, I don't know like how public it is. There's going to be a show at Barnsdall that's going to be done as kind of like a cadavre exquis, like where one person invites someone who invites someone. Really? Yeah. It's not, not necessarily in a traditional way. I've been invited as one of the people to choose an artist to oh, do fantastic. something with. The way it was laid out in the proposal, exhibition proposal. It's about sort of writers in Los Angeles and, and people who do, and artists and people who do all sorts of other different kinds of practices. Other practices or things that And one of the things practice. was listed was musicians. And so I, I thought maybe that's one reason that he thought to include me. It would be, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but I would love to find some way to... It, incorporate that I think you should yeah I'd like to try so but it's gonna be hard because I I have to really put my thinking cap on and who what artist you would one be game for that (laughs) and two where it's an element in their practice already not necessarily music but 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 something related to that I think if anybody could do it you could do it sure yeah when is it coming up in February it's right around the corner yeah yeah Claire thank you for coming of course and we'll talk soon indeed thanks Jason 